You're listening to a message from Ogden Church, a gospel-centered ministry for all people. We hope during the next few minutes you gain a better understanding of God's love expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. We are so glad that you are joining us for worship this morning. I want to begin by telling you a little story. A professor by the name of R.C. Sproul is a theologian, well-respected in evangelical circles. He had a class of freshmen, and he was teaching them Old Testament. As his class walked in on the first day, he told them, you're going to have three papers due throughout the semester. The first, September 30th, October 30th, and then November 30th. These are freshmen. This is one of their first classes. They walk in. And they hear this news. Well, some time goes by. September 30th arrives, and 20 of the students walk in to his class. No paper. Nothing done. They walk up to their professor. They say, oh, we're so sorry. We're still in this high school mindset. Please, will you give us some grace? He says, all right, I'll give you a few more days. You can have three more days. Bring your papers in. But don't push me. Do it. Let's get it done. Okay, they get it done, they turn their papers in. October 30th comes. Now 50 students walk into class, no paper done. Please give us some grace, we'll never do it again. Give us another chance. Please, 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 professor. He said, all right, one last time. I'll give you a few more days, three more days, turn in your papers. Give some grace. They celebrate. Thank you, we love you, professor. You're the best. November 30th arrives. A hundred students walk in, no paper, nothing done. He looks over at one of them and he says, Hey, Johnson, where's your paper? It's okay, Professor. I'll have it for you in a couple days, no big deal. He holds up his grade book and he says, F. And all in unison, the, the class comes together and says, That's not fair, not fair. So, oh, Far be, I don't want to be unfair. Johnson, your paper was late last time, right? October 30th, F. (laughs) Who else wants fair? He said the class was silent. This is the quote that he says about that. He reminds us that we are no longer amazed at grace. It's actually justice that amazes us. We're shocked when justice takes place. It says, in two decades of teaching theology, I have had countless students ask me why God doesn't save everybody. Says, but only once did I have a student come to me and say, there's something I just can't figure out. Why did God redeem me? We're not really surprised that God has redeemed us. Somewhere deep inside of the secret chambers of our hearts, we harbor the notion that God owes us His mercy. Heaven would not be quite the same if we were excluded from it. We know that we're sinners, but surely we're not as bad as we could be. There are enough redeeming features to our personalities that if God is really just, He will include us in salvation. What amazes us is justice and not grace. 
See, we sing songs like Amazing Grace, but often we live in this cheap grace mentality that God really owes us his grace instead of recognizing that we're in desperate need of his mercy. The reason I start with that story is because mercy and grace are similar terms, but they're different. And we're going to be talking about beholding God's mercy, looking at the mercifulness of God. And grace is when God offers us a free gift that we can't purchase that he gives us. But mercy is when you stand condemned and the just punishment that you deserve is paid for by someone else. We're going to look at God's mercy. We're in a series called Behold, looking at the characteristics of God, because as we walk towards Christmas and think about Jesus as a baby and how amazing Jesus is, we need to recognize the characteristics of who God is. As we look at him sending his son to this earth as a child, we need to recognize how glorious he is. We looked at his glory last week, and we're going to behold together his mercy today. As we look at Genesis chapter 22, we're going to see God's mercy in the test, in the intervention, and in the provision. You see, God's merciful at every step along the way of the path of Abraham. Now, we see this story of Abraham and Isaac. Some of you maybe have heard the story if you've been in church before, where God asks of him something that is shocking to our American mind. How could this be possible? But I put before you that God's mercy is present in the test that Abraham receives. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 8 is how our story begins. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. And sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the firewood, the fire, and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Unbelievable. How could God, how could a good God ask or even bring up the idea that You should sacrifice your son. This is Abraham who's been given a promise that God's people are going to come into the world through his descendants. And he's been given Isaac, this gift, this incredible gift. He's blown away at God's faithfulness to him and he loves his son. And God says, look, I want you to take your son. 
Take him to the region of Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him there. We're told that this is a test, but what happens in our minds is we think, God, how could you take an innocent child and sacrifice him? Well, what we know is true is that Isaac isn't innocent, nor are you, nor am I. We stand condemned before a holy God, but what God is doing is he says to Abraham, there can be no thing in your heart that is above me. This is a terminal spiritual condition. When we have an idol that is placed above God in our hearts, no matter what that thing is, it will destroy us. God knows that. And in the test, he knows what is best for Abraham. He's saying, I love you so much that I can't allow this condition to stay the way it is. We cannot have your son Isaac, even though it's a good thing, even though it is a promise from God, it cannot take the place of God. So God shows him mercy and says, I'm going to remove that thing. We're going to see if this is above me. There's a friend of mine who's been through some cancer treatments over the last year, and he's been given a clean bill of of health up at this point, but for the rest of his life, he's going to have to go for periodic testing. And these tests are important because they will reveal if the sickness is back. We need these tests in our lives. When I was in high school, one of the hardest things I had to go through was I loved basketball. This is going to hit home for some of you right now, actually, in, in our current culture. I loved it. And when I became my senior year, I was looking towards starting on the varsity team. And, and as we went through camp and did some practices, one of the juniors jumped me, and he became the starter, was just a, a better basketball player than me. And I had dedicated so much of my life to this thing that was just taken from me. And I was furious all the time. I was angry. I put in the time. I know I practiced more than this kid because nobody practiced more than me. I deserved it. But he was better. I was so angry about it, but I can look back on that time as the single most character-developing thing that has ever happened to me through my time up to that point in my life. God used it to reveal what really mattered. You see, because the point is, no matter what you love, if it is an earthly thing, it can be taken from you at any moment. Right? Executive order, no more. No more sports. Unless you play at a certain level, then that's okay. Grace abounds, grace abounds. But we see God's mercy in the test. And instead of saying, God, how dare you talk about Isaac like that? Instead, we must ask ourselves, is there anything inside of my heart that has jumped to the primary place above God himself. You see, nothing can sit in that place. And God's mercy is present in the test. Even though it's shocking to our ears, who do you think loves Abraham and Isaac the most? Do you think it's one of them? Do you think it's another human, maybe his mother? Nope, it's God. 
God loves them more than they love themselves and convincing themselves that they can trust God over what he necessarily thinks is going on is crucially important in our faith life. To say, God, I trust you more than I trust myself. His mercy is present in the test. He's showing, look, I love you and this cannot stand. And then he intervenes. We see his mercy in the intervention. The, the knife is there. The, the sacrifice is set up. He says, but where, where is the, the lamb? Isaac says. God himself will provide the lamb. You know, it's important as we look through Scripture to realize that it's a collection of stories, but it's really one story that tells us about who Jesus is. You know who's also described as the one and only Son that is loved? Jesus, the one and only Son of the Father, loved by His Father. He's sent to this mountain, which is thought to be the same mountain that Jesus Christ Himself is crucified upon. Isaac, the son, carries up the wood of his own sacrifice up the mountain. Who else carried up the wood of their own sacrifice? Jesus Christ did. These are all shadows that point us to Jesus, our good Father, the Son who will be sacrificed. But in this situation, God intervenes. He shows us mercy in the intervention Verses 9 through 12, when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. So the exact same thing he said before. When everything seemed fine, he said, here I am. Now he's in crisis. He says, here I am. Nothing has changed about Abraham's response to God. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now I know you fear God because there's nothing you're going to hold back from me. There's nothing above me in your heart. And God looks down and he sees Abraham's hand over Isaac. And though it would have been just for his hand to fall, however hard that is for our minds to think about, he's sinful and broken and the wages of sin is death. God stops him and he intervenes. He holds Abraham's hand back from falling on his one and only son. You see, God loves Isaac. He intervenes in his mercy and says, no, stop. He sees a son. He has a son. I was on a mission trip in Haiti, and the missionary that we were working with, thought it would be super fun at this orphanage to play a game with the piñata. These kids haven't seen a piñata. They've never had this experience. So we have hundreds of of hungry orphans uh, around a piñata, 
and it breaks, candy goes, and then the apocalypse happens. Kids crush each other, they're smashing one another. At the time, I had a two-year-old daughter, and I saw this two-year-old little girl just getting piled on, a mass of humanity. And I stepped in, and I reached these kids. I pulled these kids off of her, and I scooped this little girl up in my arms, tears streaming down her face. She can't understand me, but, but I'm like, it's going to be okay. It's, I got you. It's going to be all right. Because when, when I saw her, I, I saw my own daughter. And I intervened. Because the, the pain of thinking about what was happening to her hit hit home for me. You see, God intervenes in this situation, doesn't let the knife fall on Isaac. But thousands of years later, when his son has climbed the very same mountain, the, the knife of God's wrath falls completely on Jesus. His hand falls on his own son so that we could be set free, so that, so that the justice of God could be satisfied when we are condemned. God sets us free through the blood of Christ. And yet, we look at God and we say, how could you ask Abraham to sacrifice your own son but not willing to say, God, you did that for me. You sacrificed your own son on the cross. We think of Abraham, we have empathy for him, but we have trouble thinking about Wait a sec, God actually did it. He stopped Abraham, but he did it for you. He did it for me. How dare we look at God and judge him testing Abraham, but not marvel at his mercy for us. His mercy in the intervention, because just when he stops Abraham, he knows his hand will fall on Jesus. God's mercy is present in the intervention. He intervenes with Abraham, and he intervenes for us on the cross. This is what the birth of Christ means. The perfect sacrifice. And then God provides. Our story can't stop there. He can't just be stopped from sacrificing Isaac. A sacrifice has to be made, so God provides. In verses 13 through 18, this is how our story continues. He stops him, God stops him, and then Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide Renamed the mountain, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your only son, your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
because you have obeyed me. All of the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham, pointing to Jesus. Not just the the chosen people, not just your descendants. God made a promise to Abraham about his descendants. And then he says, everybody's going to be blessed. But he said, a lamb. On the way up the mountain, Isaac says, where's the the lamb? But Abraham looks up and he sees a a ram, a, a different animal for the sacrifice. To remind us that one day another lamb will come. The lamb of God. John chapter 1 verse 29. When John saw Jesus coming, he says, Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The mountain where Jesus one day will be crucified is renamed. God will provide and God provides exactly what is needed. The sacrifice, the ram caught to step into the place of Isaac to pay the price of sin. You know, we often can think about what it means to sacrifice for God and struggle to realize that God actually provides all of what we need when we sacrifice for him. I was thinking about our church and the things that God has done up to this point to provide for his church. And Ogden moved from the the cornfield. For those of you who have been here a long time, you know we were in a cornfield for a while out in Ogden Center. We went to the Croswell. The church grew significantly, and we were thinking about building this building. The property that this building sits on now was negotiated at a, at a price. It was very reasonable at the time, but it was significant. It was $100,000, $101,000 to buy this land, to build this building. It seems like a, a huge number, a difficult number to, to come up with. I got a chance to talk with Connie Morris, who's been the administrator for the church for a long time and sort of still helps us out, keeps us out of trouble. She saw the church through this season. She said a couple of months that they made the, after they made the agreement to purchase the land for $101,000, she went to the mailbox and there was a single check for $100,000 in the mail. God provided exactly what was needed because God has it all. It's all his. His provision for you is the blood of Christ. It is more than you could have ever wanted. In this terminal condition of us elevating things above God gets revealed in the tests of our heart and he shows us his mercy there. He's merciful in his intervention when there was no reason that he should intervene. He still does out of his love and grace and mercy and justice. And he provides exactly what we need. Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, we do a year-end campaign at the church. A big reason we do this 
is to be better at reaching out to the community. We want to love people well. We want to position ourselves so that people can clearly hear the message of the gospel. And this place is welcoming. That is important. But one of the crucial things that has to happen inside all of our hearts is to say, God, have I put anything above you? Are there any things in my life that I bow down to that are not you? And when we ask each person in our church to pray over what God would have them give, it's a chance for us to kneel again before our Savior and say, God, it's you that provides for me, nothing else. And I will not place anything above you. So we come before God in the spiritual process of saying, God, have I put anything before you? And we remember that even in the testing, sometimes is painful. God's mercy is there for you. When he intervenes, it's in his merciful nature that he shows his love and intervenes through the blood of Christ. And he provides more than anything in this world could ever provide for you. Because here's the hard truth. You might look good now. One day we're all going to get old. You might be really good at sports now. You might go to college and play. You might become a pro. But guess what? Everybody retires. It ends at some point. And it is God's mercy that he allows us to trust in him. Nothing in this world. Have you elevated something above God? It doesn't belong there. The only thing that can be first in your heart and mind is Christ himself. How can you be looking for God's mercy in your life in the weeks, months, and years to come as he shows us his love and the sacrifice of his son? Let's pray and then we'll close. God, we lift our hearts to you, and may we never live in a place of cheap grace where we ignore what you did for us. Keep us amazed. Draw us close. Show us how glorious and merciful you are. And as we see and reflect upon the beauty of your character, we're amazed again as we celebrate the sending of your Son to this earth as a baby for us. We love you, Lord. Draw us close to you in this season. Whether we're far off and, and don't know exactly, we're just checking it out. Open the door. Shine your light into our darkness. Help us to see you. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. We hope you enjoyed this message. Please join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 11 a.m. If you'd like any more information about Ogden Church, just visit our website at ogdenchurch.org or Facebook. 